Chapter 17 of Betty Baird's Golden Year by Anna Hamlin Weichel. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Holly Jensen. Chapter 17 Miss Snell. Miss Minturn and Mr. Anstice were married very quietly on a brilliant day in early October, and at once started on a year's journey round the world. Betty and Lois went down to the pier to see them off, and threw many kisses to the handsome, happy bride, and waved farewells with dainty handkerchiefs, which they had to apply industriously to overflowing eyes as soon as their backs were turned. They were two very disconsolate girls when they took the train for Hobart, Betty thinking of the long year before she should see her friend again, Lois concerned more than she would admit about Betty's future and her chosen work, for Miss Minturn had sold her business to a Miss Snell, giving Betty, however, a one-fourth interest as a token of her love. For two years, the dream, the romance of Betty's young life, had been to help her father free their home from its mortgage, so they could look the dear old house in the face and say, you are ours no one shares you with us of course this daydream was not all absorbing for betty's life like that of all young happy things had many mingling threads of interest in spite of this debt betty's home was always cheerful mrs baird never discussed at meals or other family gatherings the financial problems that occupied her mind when the inevitable interest was about to fall due, she and Betty would have a quiet little talk over ways and means. Usually, though, day after day passed in unbroken sunshine for the girls, and youth and health, in themselves antidotes to foreboding, kept the big old-fashioned rooms filled with laughter, music, dancing, and merry rompings. There are few boys and girls who, like the youthful Warren Hastings, make a vow to redeem the stately possessions of their ancestors and cling through life, for good or ill, to the child's daydream. Boxwood was the only real home Betty had ever known, and perhaps her devotion to it surpassed that of those who have had the shelter of a house that has always been in the family. Her only other home had been the manse in Weston, and there many an official or officious member cautioned the little Betty to be careful, because it wasn't her own house, but was church property. Even Mrs. Baird, in excessive conscientiousness, would occasionally remind Betty to be careful of the paint or paper, because they belonged to the church. For Betty, then, a place of their own was an introduction not only to a genuine home, but to liberty. When Miss Minturn gave her the interest in the business, Betty saw that if the studio of design was carried on as it had been, she could, with her salary and her share of the profits, add enough to her father's savings in two or three years to cancel the mortgage. Naturally, she was full of glee over her partnership. It was quite wonderful to be able to say our studio with the feeling of one-fourth proprietorship, though this feeling, it is true, was not wholly new, for Betty had so identified herself with Miss Minturn's interests that our studio had always slipped easily from her tongue, especially as Miss Minturn herself never used the excluding my. For a few days, then, Betty walked on rose-colored clouds, but only for a few days. 
Soon there came a storm cloud that threatened their rosy hue. Of course, Lois and Betty had wondered what manner of person Miss Snell would be, though to be sure, at their age, a new personality in the business did not seem at all portentous. And moreover, at first sight, there was nothing in Miss Snell's appearance to arouse apprehension, even if she was exactly Miss Minturn's opposite. She was short and stout, and entirely lacked that grace that made Miss Minturn distinctive. She was younger than Miss Minturn. Her suave manner, combined with her large, full gray eyes that seemed to embrace the whole world in charity, gave an impression of benevolence. On the surface, her nature was kind. It went out in all sorts of spontaneous acts, yet she soon wearied of anyone who interfered, however slightly or unintentionally, with her liberty or with her self-love. The key to her attitude, when she took charge of the studio, was jealousy of her predecessor's influence with her associates and clients. Accordingly, she began at once to change everything in order to undervalue Miss Minturn and to show that now she was the boss. Jealousy indeed so worked on her undisciplined nature that very soon she began to dismiss the old helpers one by one. Betty was tactful and just, but she found that Miss Snell was high-handed and was determined to run things as she pleased, without regard to her junior partner or reference to past policies or successes of the studio. This place needs a perfect revolution, snapped Miss Snell, as she bounced into the room where Betty was finishing a watercolor sketch for the decoration of a house for which plans had been drawn before Miss Minturn sold the studio. At these words, now used for the fortieth time, it seemed to Betty, she felt two spots flame resentfully in her cheeks. However, she looked up inquiringly, and Miss Snell had lost her temper to such an extent that Betty's slight withdrawal at the word revolution passed unnoticed. Miss Snell did not continue, she bustled up to the desk and leaned over Betty's chair, glanced at her drawing, then snatched it up, soiling it as she rumpled it heedlessly between her fingers. Betty watched with indignant eyes, but she restrained her temper, and as she looked at the weak, incompetent woman, once more the whole situation flashed through her mind. Miss Snell plumed herself on the fact that she had never studied artistic decoration. She had picked it up. It came naturally, she said. Before many days had passed, it was not necessary for her to insist on her first statement. It was only too easily believed by those who had been with Miss Minturn. That it came naturally remained to be proved. She is untrained, Betty thought, and doesn't know how to carry on this work, and it irritates her. But she won't acknowledge it to herself, or, of course, to anyone else. That makes her ugly about Miss Minturn and everyone here. Miss Snell was holding the drawing at arm's length and examining it through half-closed eyes. This will never do, never in the world. I see I'll have to ask Miss Rudder to go over your work. In fact, you needn't trouble yourself further about it. I'll have Miss Rudder draw up some plans that I'm sure will please Mrs. Lelesh much better. Throwing it down on the desk with a hopeless air, Miss Snell prepared to move off. 
Excuse me, Miss Snell, began Betty in a tense voice, her eyes blazing. What do you see to criticize in this? I shall be glad to have definite criticism. Miss Snell had never been pinned down to specific criticism and could not make it. Definite directions were impossible to her. She tore down in a vague way, but never built up. There's no need of losing your temper, she said with that assumption of superiority that is so irritating. I see Miss Minturn in every line of this drawing. I don't agree at all with her ideas and decoration, and in time I shall make radical changes here. This place needs a revolution. I can't have my studio carried on in this way. Betty drew herself up, and her face grew pale with indignation. Please remember, Miss Snell, she said quietly, that this is our studio, not yours alone. However, I think it is a very good idea, as Mrs. Lelesh is such an important client, for you to have Miss Rudder draw up another plan. Then we can submit both of them for her choice. Knowing Miss Rudder's ability as I do, I am confident that Mrs. Lelesh will not care to see any other plans than hers, Miss Snell replied, leaving hastily. Betty sat down dazed, looking at the drawing over which she had spent so many hours of hard work. She felt that this was the best thing she had ever accomplished. She will run this business into the ground, she groaned. Then where will be the money for the mortgage? Poor old daddy. Despair crept into her heart, none the less bitter because it was a girlish heart that had tucked away in it many happy adjusting resources. She decided not to say anything to her parents about this for the present, for they had been delighted over her unexpected good fortune, and perhaps something might turn up to bring things to right. She picked up the rejected plans and looked at them long and critically. Then, with a smile, she began to clean off the finger marks made by Miss Snell. As she worked, her smile grew brighter. We'll wait until Mrs. Lelesh comes. She liked our rough sketch, and as she is the one who is paying for it, I rather think she'll have something to say about it. End of chapter 17 Recording by Holly Jensen.